You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Folks, it is great to see you here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 3, beginning in verse 16 and uh, following. And uh, as you guys are kind of turning there, uh, don't forget, base camp starts November 2nd. And so if you've been a part of base, uh, Foothills Church for uh, any length of time, you know that base camp is a huge, huge thing for us. And so if you've never gone through it, encourage you to go through it and uh, start with that. Uh, November 2nd uh, is when we kick off and uh, we'll, we'll get going. Um, so in chapter uh, 3, beginning in verse 16, what we're doing, if you're, if you're new, maybe this is the first time you're here or, or whatnot, we're going through the book of John together as a church. And so we started a few weeks ago, and so we're just going to go verse by verse through the whole gospel. And so for the next 15 years, we're going to be doing this on Sunday morning. And uh, I mean, not really, but it's going to take us some time. But uh, we love to do that because it covers um, all the truth in God's word. And, and uh, it helps us begin to uncover from start to finish uh, what God has for us in, in a book. And so excited to do that today. And so we begin in verse 16, cover a little bit of it last week in 16, but I uh, want to start there again today. But before I do, I want to make you aware of, a, of, a, of something that's taken place over the years. And um, it really began with a school uh, called the Claremont School of Theology in California. Uh, historically connected with the United Methodist Church, uh, what this basically seminary was doing was training uh, men for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christian ministers. Uh, but not long ago, Um, they decided that they were going to do something different. And instead of just training Christian ministers in the gospel, they decided that they were going to train Christians, they were going to train Hindus, they were going to train Buddhists, Jewish leaders, and even Islamic leaders in their faith. In an attempt to say, you know what, we need to be an interreligious organization and we need to accept all faiths We need to include all belief systems, and we want to offer to people a a way to train them in their specific religion. Now, the reason why this is an atrocity, and it was the first school that did this, but I'm afraid it's not going to be the last, is that it is an ongoing issue in our culture and and, and, in our country uh, especially, which would say that it doesn't matter what religion you choose. All religions lead to heaven. Every prayer you pray, no matter what or how you do it, ultimately gets to God. So just be sincere in your faith, be sincere in your beliefs, and God will allow you into heaven. Now we read verses like John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world. And we see that phrase, and we love God's love, and we sing about God's love, and we, yes, absolutely, God loves us. And sometimes we take that concept of his love and we begin to think and have a theology that would embrace this school in California. We would, we, we would think that God loves us so much that it doesn't matter if you believe in Jesus or not. He is a way, but he's not the only way. Uh, so just follow your path and be true to yourself. And so if you just follow the Islamic path or the Buddhist path or the whatever path and you're sincere, because God loves us so much, he won't send you to hell, will he? Here's a question I hope to begin to wrestle with today and answer for us. And it is simply this, since God so loved the world, does that mean everyone will eventually experience heaven? 
Now that's a great question. Depending upon who you ask in our culture today, you're going to get a million different answers and reasons. But if we are people of faith in this book, the Bible, if we are people who would believe in Jesus Christ and believe that this book is the inspired and infallible word of God, which means there are no errors and that everything that God intends us to learn from these words are true and perfect in every culture, in every life, for all time, then we need to take these words that we hear this morning to truth and and take it to heart and allow it to penetrate our minds. Because like you, um, you've probably, like me, you've probably seen uh, bumper stickers like this that would suggest that, hey, can we just all get along? I mean, can't we just all coexist? I mean, seriously, let's stop, you know, talking about what you believe in and let's stop talking about your way is the only way and let's just embrace everything. See, the problem with that is that every religion that's expressed in this sticker is at its very core against the other. It's like every religion up here is an exclusive religion, which means that they believe that their way is the only way. And so it's not enough to just coexist. And as a matter of fact, I think it's a very evil thing to say that I'm just going to coexist with someone. I'm not just going to coexist with my spouse, am I? I'm not just going to coexist with my children. That's a very unloving and evil perspective to say, hey kids, we're just living together. I'm not going to tell you how to live or I'm not going to tell you what's true. Go ahead and play in the street, guys, especially around 5, 5.30 doesn't make sense, does it? Let's go to God's word. Let's begin in verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. Now that's the most um, famous verse in the entire Bible. So if you're new to church or you're just kind of checking out church, man, I'm glad you're here. I hope you have a ton of questions and I hope we can have coffee and talk about those questions because I think it's worth a deeper conversation. And so uh, I, I talked about this verse last week, so I don't want to spend a lot of time here other than to remind you that this conversation with, is with a man named Nicodemus. Jesus told him last week that when we read um, that, that you have to be born again in order to receive eternal life. And this rocked his world. It blew his mind. He couldn't comprehend it, really. He's a religious leader. He's very successful. He's on the Sanhedrin, which means that he is, he is in charge of every Jewish uh, male in the world. And so he knew the Old Testament frontwards and backwards. He had it memorized. I mean, this guy knew his stuff. And Jesus says that, look, God loves the world. And whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. And again, that would have rocked his world because in his mind, God only loves the nation of Israel. God is only for us as a Jewish nation. And so Jesus here is saying that, no, 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 no. It's not just you. I love everyone. So it's not just for Jews. It's not just for, for, for them. It's for Gentiles, you and I. It's, it's, it's that whoever believes in him, that means you today. That means that no matter what you face in your life, no matter what you've experienced in your life, no matter how much baggage you have when you walk into these doors today, that salvation is offered to you today. And by faith, you can receive that, receive Christ into your life, allow your sins to be forgiven and one day experience eternal life with him. And that's just, that's just, that's just 
you know, a, a tipping point. That's just the tip of the iceberg there. There's so much more to it that, that God blesses us and gives us life to the fullest as we embrace him and experience him. But in our scripture today, you know, as we continue, we, we see the, the answer to this question. Is God just going to allow all of us into heaven? Let's read the, the following verses. In verse 17, it says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, this passage of Scripture isn't a very popular passage of Scripture, but the truth of this passage is going to relate to some other texts that you are familiar with. But I want to start back in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now, culture loves that part of the verse. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn don't condemn me, man. Don't condemn me for what I believe. I won't condemn you. Let's just coexist and let's just be happy. You know, Jesus didn't come to condemn, but he came that we might be saved through him. Now, on the positive, amazing part here, that means that Jesus offers salvation to you. Jesus offers salvation to your coworker. He offers salvation to your uncle. He offers salvation to your mom and dad and to your children today. The offer is for you, and today you can receive him into your life and have your life change for the better. He says, I didn't come to condemn. I came to save the world. I came that you might be saved. Let's continue. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoo, that's amazing. We should worship today. We should sing today. We should give today. We should be excited to be in God's house because in Jesus, we don't stand condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of Muhammad. No. Because he has not believed in the name of Confucius. No, it's very exclusive here. The reality is, in Christ, not condemned. If you don't believe in Christ, you stand condemned already because you have not believed in the name of the only Son of God, Jesus. Now, this is the verse. This is the verse that would explode a theology that would include everyone and every faith and every path that, that they would say would lead to heaven. Now, we don't say this arrogantly. We don't say this as, as saying, boom, get somebody. No, it's like, no, no, no. This is what Jesus teaches. That if we are in him, we are not condemned. If you have not believed in him today, here's the truth. You stand condemned already because you haven't believed in the name of Jesus. If you're taking notes, the first point I want you to write down is rejecting Jesus is receiving judgment. You are receiving judgment if you decide to reject him today. If you reject him, you embrace judgment upon yourself. He did not come to condemn us, but here's the reality. His coming actually leads to judgment. 
Jesus came to save. He didn't come to condemn, but him actually being sent and coming into the world means that judgment is taking place. The ultimate judgment will take place when Jesus returns and we stand before God, but judgment is even being placed upon us now because we're standing condemned if we're not in Christ. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son. And this is the judgment. Here's the judgment. Jesus comes into the world, not, con- not to condemn, but he comes into the world and As a result, judgment is taking place, and here's why. Light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, I can tell a lot about a person's faith based upon what they love and what they hate. You ever notice that? If someone loves to go to church, if they love God's word, if they love truth, if they love kindness, if they love, you know, evangelism, if they love to see people coming to know Christ and, and growing, I know about where your faith stands, you know, but if you, if you hate small group, if you hate hearing preaching on certain topics, if you hate religion, then we can kind of know what, what you're placing your faith in as well. He says that before Christ, that we hate the darkness. You know, we embrace and love evil. And so as we embrace darkness, as we embrace, embrace this train of thought, we begin to go down this path of what this philosophy is called pluralism, where pluralism would say in our, in our culture, you know what, it, it, you can't claim to have ultimate authority in your faith. It's not just, you know, that you have the way to heaven. What you mean is you have a way to heaven. And so pluralism would embrace all walks of faith and all paths leading to heaven and not allowing anyone to claim sole authority on um, their view of God and their view of what it takes to get to heaven. Now, an example of how our culture has moved is is recently, uh, a few years ago, Franklin Graham, uh, Billy Graham's son, was invited to the White House on the National Day of Prayer. But because of his statements about Christianity and his statements about Islam, they rejected that invitation, deeming that, and I quote, it is not appropriate. What did he say? He said, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only message of salvation. To Christ is the only savior. And to Islam as an evil belief system that pulls millions away from faith in Christ and delivers no hope of salvation. Now, if we believe God's word, then we, we agree with his statement because any faith or any path that would lead somebody away from Jesus is evil. That's saying, kids, go play in the street. Go play on 321 at 530 this afternoon, on Monday afternoon. That's a good idea. If you feel like it, go for it. That's very unloving. That, that, that's evil. And so, so we would embrace that that concept. But here's what Kathleen Parker, a writer for the Washington Post, said in, in an article. She, she advised her readers that evangelicals, that's those who believe in Jesus, are not likely to hold on to this belief for long. In her words, such opinions may be confined mostly to an older generation. Evangelicals under 30 believe that there are many ways to God, not just through Jesus. Now you read that And unfortunately, I don't want to agree with her, but I think it's kind of what we're seeing. And so as a church, what we want to maintain and uphold is the authority of Scripture. 
and the teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we're, we're in a culture now that doesn't want to offend people, even if it's true, you know? So we don't want to offend people, and that kind of creeps into the church. Trent, don't talk about certain sins, because certain sins are a little touchy, you know, just talk about how God loves us, and, you know. And so even pastors are kind of tempted to, to go down that path, and, and, and I don't want to say anything that offends anybody, so I'm just going to talk about the fluffy cotton candy stuff, and then if I do that, then I won't offend anybody, and maybe people will come, and, and folks, I hate to tell, t- tell you this, and, and please take this the right way, but I don't care if you like what I say, as long as what I say is in line with this book. And so, and so I'm not, here's why this is important. Don't miss this. this. The most caring and loving thing I could do, and I go back to this, is, is tell my kids to get out of the burning house, right? It says tell my kids not to play in the street. And, and so as a pastor, I, if it's sin, then, then I want to identify it as sin in your life because sin in your life is killing you. It has ruined relationships in your life. There's no doubt about it. It's already ruined and bankrupt your spiritual life with God because you stand condemned. We already know that. And this, this barrage of sin in your life is, is keeping you from growing closer to Christ. And so, obviously, I've, I've got to teach sin. I've got to, you know, show you what it is and what it looks like. And that's the most caring and loving thing I could possibly do as, as a teacher. In verse 19, it says that light has come into the world. But what do we love? We love the darkness. The Bible says in John 14, 6, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. Now, that's a verse you know, and that's a verse, verse like, yeah, Jesus is the only way, you know, but verse 18 says the same thing. In Christ, not condemned. Not in Christ, you stand condemned already. And so, knowing that Jesus is, 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 is the way, the truth, and the life, knowing that we love darkness, that, that's our bent. Like we're born into the world. We, we love sin. We, we enjoy sin. We want to sin. And listen, just because you're a believer today doesn't mean that you don't want to sin. Oh, no, no, no. I still want to sin. And I fight with it constantly. And sometimes I fight harder and sometimes I lose my, my cool and I, I kind of back away and I can begin to embrace it just like you. And so the question is, are we fighting against it? And, and are, we, are we recognizing that we love the darkness? Because we do, that's our natural bent. That's what we want. But when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he's saying that all truth comes through him. So, so all truth belongs to him. He is the only way. Like, like we, we, don't, we don't recognize other faiths as leading to Jesus or leading to God. And like, it's just all these different paths that just go up this mountain that lead to God. No, 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 no. The Bible's clear. It's only through Jesus. It's, a, an, it's an exclusive faith. Our faith in Christ leads us to the truth. And this truth tells us the truth about ourselves. It's the truth about the way of salvation. It's the truth about the way that we deal with each other. It's the truth about how we deal with our feelings. It's the truth that, that teaches us what is right and what is wrong. It's the truth that defines us. And, and it's the truth that, that is only measured by Jesus himself. That's what it means when it says that the light has come into the world. And he says, we love evil. We love darkness. Before Christ, we love evil. We love darkness. And even after Christ, we still suffer from it. We still struggle in it. And so for, for us, <coughs> didn't think it would take that long. 
See, it's offensive. You know, we don't want to hear this. See, we come into this culture today, and it's like, it's like Halloween is here. You know, we, we have to decide. I always get this question. Like, we love the darkness. Halloween is here. Trent, what do you do with evil? What do you do with Halloween as a family? And so, so I'll mention this. There, there are three things that you can do with Halloween this Friday. You can accept it, you can reject it, or you can redeem it. And so kind of practically speaking on this issue, if, if we accept it, that means that no matter what um, culture is doing, we're going to do the same thing. No matter what, you know, we're, you know, what are, they're dressing up as evil witches and blah, 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 and decorating house in evil and all this kind of stuff. We're going to do the same thing. We're just going to accept it as is, make no changes, be exactly like culture is. That's if you accept it. Now, if you reject it, what you're saying is it's, a, it's rooted in a pagan holiday. Uh, we're not dressing up. We're not giving out candy. We're turning all the lights out and we're singing Kumbaya in our living room. That's what we're doing. We're rejecting it, right? But the third thing, and this is what I would ask you to do um, as a partner with us and, and, and just as a people that are part of our church, I would, I would ask you to think through what does it look like to redeem Halloween? Yeah, it's a pagan holiday. There's a lot of evil in it. But, but by redeem, I mean how can we take this holiday and, and, and how can we redeem it in such a way that we can bring glory to Jesus in it and through it? And so there are several ways that you can do this, but I'll, I'll give you a few. First off, instead of dressing up as evil witches and, you know, all this blood and gory stuff, we can dress up in, in more appropriate costumes like princesses and ninjas, okay? LeBron James is basically who my son is every year. And so um, that, that's a cheap one, by the way. And Well, actually, he keeps changing teams, and so it's cost us a little bit this year. <laughs> But you get the point, you know, in what you dress your kids up. Now, some of you are going to go to Halloween parties and some of you are going to dress up yourself. And so, so are you going to dress up in the evil costume or the risque costume? Or are we going to redeem it in such a way that we can bring glory to God through this? And so we're going to think intelligently and, and, and as, a, as a mature believer in what we dress our kids up and how we dress. Now, a second thing that we could do is instead of just walking around the neighborhood on our own, we could go with our small group. And allow that time to be a relational uh, time, building relationships together. We could invite neighbors who don't know Christ over to our house to go with us. And so we can, again, use that time to build relationships and encourage them and, and to invite them to church. And so we could, as believers, give away good candy instead of the junk candy. You know, I hate going, seriously, if, if, bless God, let's give good candy this Halloween, all right? <laughs> If you don't hear anything else this morning, go get Snickers. Stop giving us the junk, peanut butter, orange junk. I don't know, nobody wants that. You know, at our house, there are tears of joy and, and or tears of sorrow when, when we unpack that kind of stuff. And so, so we're going to give good candy away. And, and here's another idea, and this is what we did. And so we invested some time and some energy into this. And so what we've decided to do is we printed some yard signs. And the yard signs, you probably saw them when you entered... Just say this candy was sponsored by Foothills Church and it has our website and it has the service times under it. And I would love for you guys to take those home, to place that in your yard so that as hundreds of people or however many people are coming to your house on, on your doorstep or if you sit in the driveway, however you do it, as you're giving out candy, they're seeing our church's name and our service times and maybe leads to conversation. At the very least, it's, it's a way for people to identify who you are in, in, in our church. And so I think that's a great way to redeem it. So I would love for you guys to go and do that. 
that, that would be a huge thing, I think, for our church. We also have candy out there, so you can take a bag of candy to get you going. may not last you all night, but it's a good start, and it's a good example of what good candy looks like, just in case you're cheap and you're... <laughs> so we accept it, we reject it, or we redeem it. I would encourage you to redeem it this Friday night and use it for the glory of Jesus as best as you can. Let's continue. Let's go to verse 20. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So here again, we see that everyone who does wicked hates the light. So again, we know what we love. We can tell our faith by what we love and what we hate. So we hate the light then we know we're still living in wickedness and through sin and, and apart from Christ. And, and so for everyone who does wicked things, hates the lie. They hate Jesus, reject him, lest his works should be exposed. So here's the point. One of the reasons why we don't like the light is because it, it will expose our sin. We don't want our sin to be exposed. We hate the light because it exposes our failures. This is why some of us don't like to come to church very often because it exposes some of our weaknesses and some of our sin as we read God's word. I'm not, a, I'm not the husband that I thought I was and she's gonna think I'm this or I'm gonna feel guilty if he talks about fill in the blank. And so here, here we're confronted with this idea that when we, are, we allow ourselves to step under the truth or into the light, our sin will be exposed. And as it relates to sin, here, here's, the, here's the thing. What does the enemy like to lead us to do with our sin? What, what did Adam and Eve do the moment they sinned? They hid. They isolated themselves. They, they were ashamed, and so they hid in darkness. And, and, and shh, don't tell anybody. Nobody else is experiencing this. Nobody else is going through this. It's just you, man. You can't let anybody know. They'll think you're, 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 you're an idiot. They'll, they'll, they'll think you're worthless. You've got to, shh, go back in there and hide. And don't you dare tell anyone. At the very least, don't you dare confess it to God. See, that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to hide in isolation. He wants you to hide in darkness. And Jesus says, bring it into the light. Bring it into the light so that, so that why, why do we go to the light? We go to the light to be healed, to be forgiven. Those chains that, that we are carrying, the bondage that we're in when we are living in sin is a heavy burden. There is shame and there is guilt in that. And we know that to the core of who we are, we know that something is wrong. And as we walk into the light, we're afraid that, man, I'm going to be exposed and this is going to be awful. But here's the truth of the gospel. When we step into the light, Jesus breaks every chain. He takes that bondage off of us, releases us from guilt and shame, and gives us a brand new spirit. Gives us, he, he makes us a brand new creation. And so, uh, how many of you guys have seen that animated film, A Bug's Life? Anybody? So like, my kids think A Bug's Life is old now, you know? And so it's too old, so that's the old school stuff. But, you know, I still think it's a, it's a classic. And so my favorite scene of A Bug's Life is when there's a bug zapper there. You remember? There's a bug zapper in the light. And so, you know what bug zappers do? It draws the insects and then kills them. And so in this scene, there was one little bug guy that was flying into the light. He was mesmerized by the light. And his little bug friend was like, no, don't go into the light, right? What does the guy say? The little bug that's going into the light. He's like, but it's so beautiful. And the next thing you know, and he dies. And so 
So sometimes we think that's what walk, stepping into the light of Jesus looks like and feels like. We think if we step into the light, we confess our sin to God, or we confess to somebody that we've offended, God's going to zap us and we're going to be miserable. That's what the enemy wants you to think. He wants you to hide. He wants you to keep it a secret. He wants you to protect. He wants you to guard. And Jesus says, no, 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 step into the light. Let my healing grace save you. Let my healing grace forgive you. Let, let this, like a, like, like a warm bath, just come over you and, and allow you to experience freedom. That's what he wants us to experience. But sin blinds us, doesn't it? I mean, sin blinds us. And sometimes, you know, every time sin blinds us to where we don't even think it's sin anymore. We don't even see it because of our, our, our darkness, because we like the evil side so much. In 1993, there was a chemist working for Procter & Gamble. Some of you know that company. They're out of Cincinnati. They make hundreds of products that you use at home. And uh, this chemist was, was working one day, and he discovered a substance called hydroxyprofilbeta-cyclodextrin. Took me a while to get that straight. So he was a smoker. And he goes home after working with this substance, and his wife, who for years ha has been begging him to quit smoking, says, honey, did you quit smoking? She thought sh that she was being, you know, sarcastic about the issue. And he said, why? Why would you say that? And she said, because I don't smell smoke on you today. Well, he started putting two and two together and went back to work and realized that this substance was eliminating odors. It, was a, it had no smell, it had no odor, and this chemical, in, in, in whatever way, molecularly, was um, taking away all smells and all odor. Well, a few years later, and Procter & Gamble had developed this product that they thought was going to make them millions and millions of dollars. So they hired this, this hotshot you know, marketing guy, And they said, all right, Dave, Dave Simpson, let's, let's sell this product. And so in 1996, he launched his advertisements to a few test cities to sell this odor-eliminating product called Febreze. <laughs> and so they launched it, and man, they were so excited, and it was going so well And week one, week two. The first month went by, and not very many sales were taking place. They thought, well, man, let's change a few things. So they changed a few things on how they set it up and displayed it. And a month or two later, still no sales. After a few months, they realized that this product was tanking. <laughs> so much so that everybody on the marketing team that, that developed this strategy, they all thought they were going to lose their jobs. So they were going to pull the plug. Procter Gamble was like, all right, we're going to pull the plug on this. It, it, it hasn't panned out. They, they'd spent millions of dollars on marketing, on research, and here they're ready to pull the plug. And they said, okay, 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 let's, let's wait one last time and let's do one last ditch effort here to try to make this thing work. And, and so they, they hired some PhDs and some researchers and some scientists from Stanford, and they said, all right, let's find out why. Why is nobody buying this great product? It eliminates odors. I mean, this is incredible. Why? Why won't anybody buy this? And so finally, they went to several people's homes and interviewed hundreds and countless people and, and interviewed them. And one lady in particular was a lady that was uh, living alone, except for she lived with nine cats. A clean woman. She picked up, things were cleaned and tidy in the house, And yet her house smelled so bad from those nine cats that as soon as they got out of their car in the driveway, the stench actually was knocking them down. As they walked into the home, one of the researchers gagged and almost threw up. It was so penetrating and so 
bad. So as they talked with this woman, they said, okay, so ma'am, how do you deal with this cat odor? And she responded with, well, it's not that big of a problem. And they said, well, ma'am, how often do you smell this problem? Well, she said, maybe once or twice every couple of months. And they said, ma'am, can you smell the cats right now? And she said, nope. Listen, if you can't uh, sell Febreze to a lady with nine cats, who can you sell it to, right? (laughs) But what they realized at this point in time is something about human beings that is very in tune to who we are. And that is, no matter how bad the smell is, over time, our bodies desensitize to the smell. So that when something smells really bad to us, just give it some time and and over the course of some time smelling that same smell, we get used to it. And so that we don't smell it anymore. We desensitize to the smell. If you smoke, it actually changes and damages your olfactory senses. And so you don't smell smoke any longer. And so what they are experiencing here is they are trying to sell an odor-eliminating product to people who don't think they have an odor problem. (laughs) Isn't that hilarious? So what they did, they went back to the drawing board and they realized, all right, we're going to change things up. We've got to do something because people don't think that they have odor issues. The people that need it the most, nine cat lady, doesn't think that she needs it. Now listen, it's just like sin. Just like sin in your life. Think about it. Come on, think about it. Be honest. Over time, you get desensitized to the sin in your life. Bothered you the first time you did it. Not so much anymore. When you first saw it on TV, you were repulsed. But after a few years of it, it's not that big a deal anymore. Why? Because we love darkness. Even with Christ, our bent is is evil. Our bent is to love darkness. And and we are desensitizing ourselves by what we hear and what we watch and what we read about. We're desensitizing ourselves to sin. It's the same thing. You see, those who need salvation the most, you and I, all of us with sin in our life, we don't think we need it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that convince us that, look, you need faith in Christ. Step into the light. You need faith. But overall, we get desensitized. So they went back to the drawing board. This isn't working. We've got to change things. And so they, here's the irony of how they changed it. They created a odorless chemical that took away odors, okay? And they added smell to it. And so they added a smell, a, a pleasant smell uh, to Febreze and and also eliminates odor, but now it smells nicer. And then it started flying off the shelf. <laughs> and now it's, an, it's, it's over a billion dollar in, industry, you know? And some of you are like, got the plugins at home, you know? And so you're using it. So here's what we know. Same thing with sin in our culture. It's, it's sin, it's wrong. Well, after a while, I guess it's not so bad. I don't feel so guilty anymore. You know what? Let's make it smell a little bit better. Let's add some fragrance to it and, and let's put a little spin to it. God loves us so much. Look at all these people in other faiths. There's got to be some good, you know, Muslims that, 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 are, that aren't so evil, right? I mean, there's got to be some good people. Isn't God going to let them go to heaven? And my answer to you is no. 
apart from Jesus Christ, they will not experience heaven. They will not experience salvation. And so we've got to take this into account. It should change how we think about things. It should change how we deal with our friends and our family members. Let's, let's read this last verse, verse 21. It says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, our, our works are carried out in God when we're in Christ. We believe in him. Our faith is in him. He saves us. And so therefore, everything good that I do comes from God. Everything good that you do comes from God. There, there is none of us that are righteous. We don't do anything good apart from the grace of God in our life. And, and some of us hedge on that. We're like, no, I've done some good things. No, ultimately, there, there is sin in our motivation. There is sin in our thought life. Everything that we do prior to Christ is, is, is marred by sin. But when we believe in Christ, his spirit within us, he changes us. And, and then he begins to do the good works in us. I love what Adrian Rogers, the great uh, minister said uh, years ago, he said, I wouldn't trust the best 15 minutes I ever lived to get me into heaven. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen to that. Like, like the best I can possibly offer to God apart from Christ is still a filthy rag, the Bible says. How do, we ex- how do we receive eternal life then? Verse 21 says, those that walk in the light Those that walk in the light, that come to the light, clearly see this. And so we've got to embrace this light. And this light is Jesus. By embracing him by faith, by believing in him, he forgives us of our sin, restores our relationship with God, begins to give us life to the fullest and the promise of heaven one day. Apart from him, we get none of that. So the challenge for us here is it should change our prayer life. If you're a believer today, it should change your prayer life. You should be praying for those people that, that don't know Christ in your family and in your life. You should be asking other people to pray for them because, man, they need prayer. This is, a, this is an act of God in their life. We need to pray that God would change them, and that ought to ramp up our prayer life. It, it also should motivate us and ramp up our heart for evangelism. Like those people that we know aren't going to church, that we know I haven't accepted Christ. It should energize us to share the truth with them. It's the most loving thing that you can do. I don't want to offend them, Trent. Seriously, come on. Don't let culture intimidate you on this. Don't let people intimidate you. I, what I have found that, I, I've, honestly, this will probably happen to me now, but no one has ever rudely rejected things that I have encouraged them from, from God's word. I've never gotten in a fight over it. It's going to happen this week. Great. I got to work out. (laughs) But you know what? Most people are receptive to a conversation about faith. So I encourage you, it should ramp up your evangelism. If this is true, it should ramp that in us. And, And for those of us in the light here today, it should also cause us to be thankful thankful for what Christ has done in us. He brought us into the light. He, he, he moved us from, from sin and darkness to the light. And so we should be thankful for that and we should worship him and in spirit and truth. We should, we should give everything that we have to him and not take that for granted. And so it should ramp up our worship as well. And to help us in that thankfulness and to help us with that motivation, today we're going to close with the Lord's Supper, and, and uh, I want to ask volunteers to go ahead and get ready. And what we're going to do is, is what we usually do um, every six weeks or so as a church. We remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. We uh, are, are thankful for what he has done in our life. And as a result, we do this by taking this Lord's Supper. And so we, we realize that the bread is uh, a representation of the broken body of Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. 
And the juice is a representation of the blood that he spilled for us on the cross. And so we remember his sacrifice and so we praise him for that. And it's through this time that the Bible also teaches us that we need to take some time to examine our life, to examine our faith, to say, you know, where, where are the, the dark places in our life? What do I need to confess to God? We need to confess to somebody to make that relationship right. And, and as we do that, we in prayer uh, restore relationship with him. We remember him through the bread and the juice. And so I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna pray and encourage you just to take the juice and the bread on your own. Um, as James uh, sings a song over us, a beautiful song, and uh, encourage us this morning as we close. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, sometimes it is difficult for us to accept in a culture like this. And I'm sure it was offensive to some, some even left. But God, I pray that those in this room would experience your power and spirit like never before that you would reach down into their life and speak to them, that you would show them what the cross means. Lord, help us to walk in strength. Help us to walk with a, a newness in this zeal for evangelism and in our prayer life for those that are apart from you. Lord, this is our mission. This is what we, this is what we do when we wake up. And God, we pray that you would energize us for that mission. And Lord, as we take the juice and the bread this morning, we remember the sacrifice that you paid for us on the cross. And we're thankful and we worship you in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're someone here today that has never received Christ into your life, I wanna encourage you before you leave, we have a room called the prayer and care room. As soon as you walk out these doors, you take a left. And in that room, um, there, are, there are volunteers that would love to speak with you about what it means to receive him into your life. I encourage you to do that uh, before you leave today. I plead with you to do that. Guys, you can go ahead and, and pass.